morning and happy Sabbath. This morning as I was um, arriving at church, I, I saw um, Helen Baker stepping out of her car as I was driving in. And uh, oh, there she is back there. Really uh, glad to see her. And I'm not trying to put her on the spot or anything, but I'm really grateful for Helen. It's because of pioneers like her that I was able to raise my children in this church. M many of us were because of the work that, uh, that they did her name, as many of you know, is on the on the on the um, the frame back there. That's got the signatures of all the original church members, and she was one of them. And so every time I see her, I'm grateful and I'm reminded that um, there were people who worked really hard in the past so that we could be here today. So glad she's she's back and doing better. Okay, um, last week, uh, Pastor Ira introduced a sermon series for the month of October titled, To Live is Christ. It's a, a four-part series on the book of Philippians, and those of you who were here last week may recall that he introduced the book and then covered chapter one. So next week, when, um, when Pastor is back, he will pick up the series with, with chapter three, three and so today, by the grace of God, we will cover chapter 2, and I'd like to start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you this morning for Jesus Christ. We would like you to, to be here, and we invite you to come and be with us. And we pray, Lord, that you will be the teacher today. You will guide our hearts and teach each one of us something that we could take with us to serve you better. We ask and pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Several years ago, I was I was working on a on a on a series of projects with a colleague by the name of Jim. And Jim was um, about 15 years older than me and he was a really smart guy actually. He um, he knew something about just about any topic you could come up with, you know, Jim could speak to it. You know, he was really, I always thought he was really smart. He was a, a very well-read man. He, he read a lot, you know, and he was just kind of brilliant, you know. And anyway, um, Jim was also a Christian, and I knew that not because we ever, like, spoke about religion or anything, but because once in a while he would, he would make a comment, like a side comment about, his church or like something he was gonna do that weekend with his church. And so um, anyway, um, you know, we, again, we worked together a lot, so we used to grab lunch every once in a while. And one day we, we went out to lunch and the topic did turn to religion, oddly enough. And, uh, and so Jim was, <laughs> I, could, I, was, I could just see him sitting across the table from me and he's like, so Elvis, what, um, what church are you a part of? And I said, um, well, uh, I'm, I said, oh, I'm, a, I'm a, a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so he's, and I'll, I'll never forget his response. He kind of, um, you know, got up in his seat and he says, he says, oh, really? With a chuckle, he says, the Seventh-day Adventist, the rubber meat people. <laughs> now, I suppose if, if Jim had made that comment to, to, you know, to an overzealous Adventist, the conversation could have gone a different way. 
But I got the humor, right? I mean, it was kind of funny. <laughs> um, I, we, we do like our veggie meat. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, I actually had a, a, a very good laugh. You know, I shared a good laugh with Jim at the table. And I don't, I don't remember where that conversation landed. Um, but um, over the years, from time to time, you know, something will stir my, my memory. And, and I'm reminded of, of Jim's humorous comment. And oddly enough, um, as I was studying and preparing for the sermon today, Jim's comment came to mind and a question with it because obviously the, the Adventists are not the rubber meat people. <laughs> but, um, but if we're not, uh, then, then who are we? And, and that starts to, to move us maybe from humor to something a bit more serious. What is our identity? And the short answer is, you know, we are Bible-believing Christians and, and followers of Jesus Christ, but as soon as you say that, it begs another question. What is a follower of Jesus Christ? In other words, when I say that I'm a Bible-believing Christian and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, what does that look like? And the answer to that question takes us directly to Philippians chapter 2 because in this chapter, Paul provides very clear insight into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so if you will, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'm already there, but I'll wait a moment. Philippians chapter 2. If you are um, using a traditional Bible like I am and you're moving through the New Testament, you'll come to Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians right before Colossians. The rest of you are probably already there with your electronic Bibles. And so as we begin our brief study of this chapter, it's important to remember the context that Pastor Ira set for us last week. See, Paul is writing this letter to a group of very close friends at the church in Philippi. And these folks are going through a tough time. Paul doesn't exactly spell out yet in these early chapters what that challenge is, but it's clear that they are going through some kind of an ordeal. And so in chapter one, Paul is encouraging them to, by, by letting them know that he loves them, letting them know that he's praying for them, and exhorting them to be confident in Christ and his ability to sustain them through this tough period. And there's something um, in all of this that should not be missed as we turn the corner and move into chapter two. And that is that Paul is doing all of these things while he's in prison. He's loving on them, he's praying for them, he's exhorting them to hang on to Jesus. And in doing so, he's teaching us that when we're down, when things are not going well, when our world is, is upside down, a very good way to deal with it is by praying for and encouraging someone else. And Paul could have spent, you know, his time throwing a pity party for himself, but instead he used his hardship as an opportunity to encourage others. And so uh, with that background in mind, let's, let's get into chapter 2 of Philippians, and I'm going to start reading at verse 1. I'm using the New King James Version this week. And it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, 
if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, I'd like to pause here for, for just a moment because sometimes Paul is, is not easy to understand. And this morning it's important that we do understand what he's trying to say here because Paul just finished uh, investing a lot of energy in helping his friends to see that God has given them this tough situation to help strengthen their faith. He's reminded them that the trouble that they're having is, is actually giving them an opportunity to believe on Christ as they experience his sustaining grace. He's made the case that suffering for the sake of the gospel is actually a privilege. And so now in chapter two, he's, he's taking it up a notch and he begins to appeal to their, their sense of Christian citizenship. And he's saying, hey, if you've gained courage in Christ, if you're receiving comfort in his love, if you submit it to the Holy Spirit. And these, and these are givens, right? I mean, when he says if, he's not doubting. He, he's supposing these things to be true of them because um, these are things that are, that, are, that are obvious parts of the Christian experience. And so it's now time, Paul says, to take things to the next level. It's time for our behavior to reflect our Christian identity. It's time to understand that the only way we're going to gain victory over sin and over our problems is to put selfishness, selfishness and pride behind us and take on the mindset of Christ, which is one of humility and meekness. And so continuing our reading in verse 5, Paul says, let this mind, and this was our, our memory text from this morning, let, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And I'll stop right there for a moment. See, Paul, who is a great teacher, um, and, and, and these, uh, what he's doing here, we've now read verses 1 through 8. And what he's doing here is, first, he's, number one, he's giving them, his friends, the principles of behavior that they should apply to their lives. And number two, he's showing them how Christ applied those same principles to his own life. And so what are some of these principles that he's just mentioned here? Well, in verses 1 through 4, um, he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. Value others above yourselves. Don't just think about your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. And you know, as I was, as I was studying this, I just, I, I thought about this over and over because these instructions seem so basic, don't they? So obvious. Yet God gave us uh, the book of, of Philippians, he gave this, this message to the church and the, and the fact that 
that, that Paul is not writing to friends at work or, or some group of atheists or something would suggest that somebody in the church needs to hear this. This, this message is, is for us. You know, this reminds me of, of the messages to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 because for years I read those messages to see what God was saying to the church, singular, of Ephesus or Smyrna or Pergamos or whichever one, to see if I could learn something from what God was saying to them. Until one day I realized that at the end of each of those messages, Jesus actually says, he who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. He's talking to everybody. And in fact, um, let's just take a peek at that real quick, right? Revelation, there are seven examples because there are seven churches, but we'll just take one, Revelation 2 and verse 7. And, and this, this uh, message is addressed to the church of Ephesus. And if you look at Revelation 2 and verse 7, he says there, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. And I went one by one checking each one of these, and sure enough, each message at the end, Jesus says, you know, this is a message to the churches. He's talking to all the churches, including Downers Grove. And here in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, if we go back there, Paul is speaking to all the churches. It's the same thing. I mean, the people he wrote to are dead, right? <laughs> and that's not, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> we're the ones who are alive. This letter is still around, and it, it's speaking to us. And so, you know, I'm the one today, right here in Downers Grove, that needs to put away selfish ambition. I'm the one that needs to value others above myself. I need to put the interests of others before my own, right here in Downers Grove. And later in this chapter, in, in verse 14, he says, do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among, among whom you shine as lights in the world. People are watching how we act. And the mind of Christ at work in our lives, that humble and meek spirit is, is, is a light unto the world, Paul says here. And it's and 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 just you know and sometimes we we think about being a light to the world, but I have to tell you, um, it's also a light in the church. Before you go outside and and share or shine on the community, your humble Christ-like spirit is shining right here to some young person sitting right next to you. When I was a, a young man in in college, I, I remember that. I was studying at the Adventist University in Puerto Rico, and Neil Wilson, the president of the General Conference back in those days, um, not to be confused with, with Ted Wilson, who's our current president, happens to be his son. Um, anyway, he, he, was, uh, he came to visit the university, and this, this event was really promoted. I mean, we have Adventist radio there. It was all over the radio. Every church was announcing it. Um, people came from all over to hear this man speak. And, um, and, and in Puerto Rico, they still have the chairs um, up on the platform. Th those of you who, uh, who've been around the church for a while know what I'm talking about, right? Where the, everyone sits um, up here. 
And so uh, at the university, every Sabbath, you know, we just had like normal chairs, right? <laughs> but, but, but that weekend or that Sabbath, we had all these big wigs, you know, <laughs> from the Adventist church. I mean, we had like the president of the conference, the president of the union, the president of the division, the, the general president and anybody and everybody who had any title of president, vice president, anything was there. It was a big delegation. And so um, whoever set up the, uh, the stage um, had really nice chairs. <laughs> they were different, they were very nice chairs and right in the middle was a big giant throne. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I don't know where they got, I don't know where they got that seat, but it, it was big, and and clearly it was meant for uh, Pastor Wilson. <laughs> and so, anyway, um, as it happens, you know, all the leaders lined up, and it was time for the second service to start, and they all marched in, and they walked up on the platform, and sure enough, someone counted wrong. <laughs> and so, as as people were walking in. Um, the man who was in front of Pastor Wilson, who I think at the time was like the president of the division, I don't know, uh, he, he realized what happened, right? And so he, he tried like anything to switch with him. And, and, um, and in fact, it, it, it became um, a bit of a, of a spectacle uh, for, for a few moments because he, he just like, and Pastor Wilson, he, he refused. He just, he refused, he would not switch. And he, and finally the guy gave up, and so he, you know, Pastor Wilson sat in the little chair. <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, I, he'll never know this. I, I think he's passed away by now, um, I'm pretty sure. But um, I hope I'm not killing him, but I, I, think he's, <laughs> I, think, I think he's, I think he's passed away. But he'll, he'll, uh, he'll find out in heaven that um, he, he'll never know this, but his attitude of humility had such an impact on me as a young Christian. I mean, his decision on that platform would leave a long lasting impression on the mind of a young Christian by the name of Elvis. I mean, I was watching and I, I wanted to see what he was gonna do. And so, you know, as I stand here now and we're talking about Philippians chapter two and humility and everything, um, you know, I don't remember anything about his sermon that day. I remember nothing. But I remember his attitude of humility and his meek spirit. And so praise God for the mind of Christ. It, it impacts others. And, and we need to embrace it in our lives. And so coming back to Philippians 2, um, I once heard a pastor say something like, the main point is to keep the main point the main point. <laughs> and so I think Paul was thinking that <laughs> here because he stays on point. And, um, and, he, and after he presents this need that we have in our own personal lives of un, for unselfish uh, humility, he makes clear that the, this, the complete provision for that is Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 5, great children's story. That was uh, Mildred's verse today. Thank you. That's a, a great lesson for, for us to learn even from when we are kids, right? We have to learn it early. And so again, the mind of Christ, which is the title of today's sermon, is a mind that is completely selfless. It's a mind that's willing to sacrifice to help someone else find salvation, as Mildred mentioned in her children's story. It's a mind that puts the interest of others first. It's one that looks for unity 
instead of discord. It's a mind that is willing to serve instead of considering yourself too important for the menial things. It's the exact opposite of the world and how the world works. In order to impact people and impress folks in the world, you know, the world turns to force and wealth building and prestige, rank and influence, perversion of truth and other human schemes. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. We've all experienced the, the disgust of working in environments like this and the disappointment of working in environments like this. And so Paul is saying here, hey, let's keep this out of the church. Let's remember that here we operate with the mind of Christ. You know, um, this week as, as I was preparing to preach this sermon, if I can be a little transparent, the, the enemy really came after me. I had a, I had a, a, a difficult week. And um, I, you know, as, as I was, and it didn't occur to me um, until last night as I was thinking about this, it, it finally dawned on me that, you know, the Bible says that, that in Psalm 24, 14, the Bible says that the secret of the Lord is with those who, who fear him. And the message here in Philippians chapter 2 literally holds one of the most powerful secrets in all of scripture. And the enemy, he doesn't want us to hear it or see it. I mean, forget this humility thing, right? He, he, he doesn't, he, he, wants to, he wants to throw up barriers and get us to yawn when people are talking about this stuff. A posture of unselfish humility before God and man is the secret. It's literally the secret to victory in Christ. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But first, I would like to show you something I love about Jesus and his mindset. And it's found in John, the book of John, chapter 13 and verse 3, if you'd like to follow along. John, chapter 13 and verse 3. This, this verse uh, finds Jesus in the upper room with the disciples as they're getting ready to, or as they're participating of the Last Supper. John 13 and verse 3. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. It says here, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded, with which he was girded. It says here that right after he discovered that all things were given into his hands, he knelt down and washed the disciples' feet. But we know that, but what things? I mean, because it says after all things were placed into his hands, what, what things? What is it that was given into his hands? And I'd like to look at one more verse before I make the point. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12, if you'd like to follow. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12. And it's, it's speaking here of those who are, are worshiping Christ. And, and there it says here, saying, they're, they're saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom 
and strength and honor and glory and blessings, those things. When Jesus understood that all things were given into his hand, all power, all glory, all strength, all honor, he laid aside his garments and washed dirty feet. That's the mind of Christ. No arrogance, no selfishness, no vain conceit, just pure humility before God and men. And so going back to Philippians 2, here Paul is saying, hey guys, don't miss this. Jesus is God. He makes himself of no reputation, verse 7, takes the form of a servant and does things like wash dirty feet when he doesn't have to. That's the mind of Christ. That's what God wants us to be like. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I should say, it doesn't look like rubber meat. It looks like this. If people come in contact with us and come away with that, we missed it. We completely missed it. And I like veggie meat, but that is not what we want people to come away with. We want people to walk away from us understanding that we have the mind of Christ, that we love others, that we're not selfish, that we're ready to help. I mentioned earlier that the, the secret or the, the posture of unselfish humility before God and man is the secret to a victory in Christ. And Paul actually shows us why here too in, in Philippians uh, 2, and I need to get back there myself. You know, uh, those of you who know Mark Finley, he, a long time ago, he taught us that, you know, the vowels A, E, I, O, U, A, Galatians, E, Ephesians, I, Philippians, O, Colossians, <laughs> and I have that stuck in my head, and, um, and that's how I can find this book all the time, because it's, it's a short book and you can miss it. So... Before we, we come back to, to here, I just, I have a question. Um, because Paul is, you know, he, he's really pushing the mind of Christ here, right? He's really exhorting us to, to humility. And, um, but I, I just, I want to ask, you know, what is humility anyway? I mean, he's talking about it. We know that it's the, we're, it's the secret to victory in Christ. It's, it's a lot of things, right? But, but what is it? If someone asked you, you know, like, so what is humility? Ellen White gives one of the best definitions of humility that I've ever read anywhere. I mean, she beats the dictionary hands down. In chapter 57 of The Desire of Ages, where she's speaking about um, Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus, she says, implicit belief in Christ's word is true humility. I'm going to say that again. Implicit belief in Christ's word is true humility. And as we let that sink in for just a second, you know, what she's saying is that when we, when we trust God in his word 100% and we're willing to, to live by that word, that's humility. That's real humility because we don't have to do it. 
We have freedom of choice. We don't have to follow Jesus. We don't have to follow his word. But when we surrender to the point where we're willing to put self aside and live by, by this word, that's true humility. That's how Christ lived. And verse 9 of Philippians 2, if we're back there, shows us what God does when we live by, live by, by, by this mindset. And so in verse 9, which was the last verse of our scripture reading, it says, Therefore, God also ha has highly exalted him, Christ, and given him the name which is above all names. God exalted Christ. That was the end result of, of, of his life of, of humility and surrender. And so it's, it's God who, who guarantees the victory when we embrace the mind of Christ. You, you cannot fail when you surrender to God, when you do everything by this book. It is not possible. It's just not possible to fail. And so the call to action this morning as we prepare to sing our closing hymn is for all of us, including me, to leave here committed to putting self aside, to following the example of humility modeled by Jesus Christ, to embracing the mind of Christ. God exalted Jesus for doing this, and he will do the same for you. It's a promise. Amen.